In Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, we see a story that has captured the hearts of young children in Sunday school for years upon years. It's a story about a little man who climbed into a sycamore tree in Jericho so that he could see Jesus as the Lord passed through the streets. And there's a song that the children sing. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Now, let me say this. I don't say little man in an attempt to be cruel or disparage this man. I simply echo the evaluation of the biblical text, which says that Zacchaeus was a man of small stature. It was, in fact, this physical limitation that really brings substance to this story that we're going to look at tonight. Because Zacchaeus was willing to do what was needed to rise above the masses and see the truth. And in this regard, it's more than a children's story. It's a lesson for all of us, and it's a lesson that we'll look at tonight. Ray? When we look at the surrounding chapters that connect to this chapter 19, we realize that this incident when the Lord is traveling through Jericho to Jerusalem and he's going up for the Passover. And uh, of course, you know, Jericho was one of the Levite towns and it was sometimes referred to as the city of palms. And I think you and I mentioned that they had the balsam groves and they had dates and palms and beautiful place. And I think the Lord's going through, through this area, obviously on a mission, not only for Passover, but I think he's also going to see Zacchaeus because there were incidents that we saw in the previous chapter that had led to some questions that are really very good questions. And uh, number one, we had seen in chapter 18, verse 9, that the Lord had spoke a parable about people that trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Now, I, I think we all ought to have a confidence that if we're Christians, that God is with us. But we don't trust in ourselves. We trust in the Lord. And I asked myself a, a question as I begin this study. Why are some people tempted to trust in themselves? Well, it's really obviously a misplaced trust. They maybe been successful, got good health, maybe have plenty of physical things, the rich, in other words. And a lot of times people will say, well, since I am so blessed, then this means I must be okay with God. But the Lord said, you know, there were two men that went up to the temple. And I think this is important for us to see this before we get to Zacchaeus. One, a Pharisee, the other, a tax collector. Now, that's what Zacchaeus was, was a tax collector. He was at the top of the heap, though. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, and he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector, which you might have thought was guilty of all that. I fast twice a week, give tithes of all that I possess. He had the rich down, and even more so. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, this created a question because he goes on and talks to the rich young ruler, and I'm sure we'll say something about that in a minute. But it brought a question up because the Lord had said how hard it is for those that have riches to enter the kingdom of God. In verse 25, he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I remember years ago when I read that, I thought, well, there was an argument, you know, not to be too ambitious. But the more I read the Bible, the more I realized I had a misunderstanding of those passages. Uh, but these fellows said, well, they heard it. They said, who then can be saved? Well, obviously, there was a concept that rich people were kind of had a leg up on everybody. And if rich people couldn't be saved, then who could be? And the Lord said something that I think 
a lot of the verses that we're looking at right on through Zacchaeus are really designed to answer. He said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. He's saying even a rich man can be saved if God is in it and they listen. And, you know, Peter, well, we've left it all. In other words, I, I think basically Peter's saying, you know, even if we had anything, and if you'll recall, uh, one of the, the apostles was, had been a publican or a tax collector. We've left it all and followed you. And the Lord then said, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come, eternal life. Well, I, I'm saying all that because it sets some groundwork for why this incident occurs in uh, Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, where we meet this man uh, called Zacchaeus. And I think this is God's providence, God's power, God's plan, all coming to fruition and one of the beneficiaries of this is this man named Zacchaeus. It is. And, you know, when I studied it, I, uh, you know, we talked last week and we said, you know, how in the world are we going to get a full hour lesson out of uh, just two or three verses here in chapter 19? But it's amazing whenever you open up the Bible and you really begin to study it, how much information that there really is. And I begin to see the contrast of uh, the Pharisee and the publican that you just talked about and the rich young ruler beginning there in verse 18, where he really does have a serious question about eternal life. And uh, what do I need to do to inherit that? And so the Lord tells him about the commandments, uh, the law of Moses. And he said, I've done all of those things from the time that I was a youth. But there is one thing that this young man was doing that was distracting him from God. And that is his money was his God. And so the Lord tells him, he said, you lack one thing in verse 22. That is, go and sell all that you have and distribute unto the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now, I want you to look carefully at verse 23. When he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. When we look at the contrast here uh, between that and what we're about to look at here in, uh, in chapter 19, we're seeing rich and we're seeing poor. We're seeing haughty people. We're seeing humble people. In fact, chapter 18 ends with a poor man being given back his sight. Uh, and the Lord said in verse 42 also, this is a beggar. If you look at verse 35, it came to pass as he came nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat at the wayside begging. And this man was blind, and he wanted to be able to receive his sight. Jesus answered him and said in verse 42, Receive your sight, your faith has saved you. So we see a poor man saved in chapter 18 in the last paragraph. And then in the first paragraph of chapter 19, we see Zacchaeus, who is, by the way, a very rich man because he is a tax collector. Not only that, he is the chief tax collector in one of three main tax districts in Palestine. There, the, the main one, the, the most lucrative one, was at Jericho. And as you mentioned there a while ago, the reason was it has the balsa resin there, which is a, a medicinal balm extract. It's mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 22 as the balm of Gilead. You've heard about that. Well, that's what we're talking about here. But that sold for quite a bit of money, and there would have been quite a bit of tax upon that. So, uh, you know, Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector in this district. He's making all kinds of money from this. In fact, verse 2 says, well, let's just go ahead and read verse 1 and 2. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans or tax collectors, and he was very rich. 
So we get the dichotomy of people here. Some are poor, some are rich, some are humble, like the publican there uh, in uh, chapter 18. Some are haughty, like the like the Pharisee. But then who can be saved if you are rich? That is the question that is asked. And I agree with you, Ray. It is answered in verse 19. With God, everything is possible with repentance that is also brought to a fruition as well. And I'll say one other thing about tax collectors, and that is it was very, very difficult in the first century in Palestine, in Israel here, to be a tax collector because you were despised as a traitor. In other words, they looked at you and you worked for the Roman Empire rather than for the Jewish community. And so Zacchaeus has all kinds of strikes against him before we ever get started. I'll let you talk a minute then, Ray. Well, you know, one time, Lloyd, many years ago, I stayed in the home. I was in a meeting. I stayed in the home of the gentleman that worked for IRS who was uh, involved with collecting taxes. And he and I both talked about that, and he said, he was amazed how many people were very nervous around him. And uh, and he didn't like that. He, he wished it wasn't so because he was one of the best fellows you ever met in your life. And I, and I like that thought that you brought into our talking points about the burden of being a tax collector. You know, the people, well, they looked upon this. Of course, the, the Romans determined that taxes were to be collected. In Romans chapter 13, Paul tells all of us to you know, pay our taxes. And they would sell, as you pointed out, this certain districts, and they would determine what the amount of money would be that should come out of that. And since this was a rich district, a lot of money would come out of it. Then someone was be, would buy that, uh, buy that route, I guess you could call it. And in this case, Zacchaeus would be the publicanus. He would be the chief of all the other publicans among uh, around him. Well, the Romans had developed this uh, a tax, a poll tax, really, on the people, a tribunal capitus, they called it. And there was a certain amount was paid for a 14-year-old boy and a certain amount for a 12-year-old man on up. You had to pay to live there. And then they had a tribunum agri, which was a land tax. And then they, they taxed imports and exports and transportation of slaves and tolls across bridges and even Herod had imposed a market tax if you wanted to, you know, sell produce and stuff. Well, what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say, with all these taxes coming in, there were many times these fellows that would collect the taxes would try to uh, add on to the taxes in order to not only pay their wages, but to make extra. So greed was witness, but also they saw these uh, publicans as collaborators with an opposing, conquering nation. And therefore, they connected the picture of the tax collector with robbers and sinners. Now, when you move through the New Testament and you just notice where the term publican lands, you see quite a few passages that speak concerning the situations of these individuals. But one of the things that I noticed was that in many, many cases in those passages, these individuals would be interested in God's word. That's what kind of caught me off a little bit. Now, at first they weren't. Do you remember in Luke 3 when John the Baptist was preaching? And, uh, you know, he, he, was, he was preaching. The people said, what shall we do? And he said, the one that has two tunics, get, let, give to him that has none. And, uh, let uh, one that has, you know, do the same thing. Well, the tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said to him, what shall we do? And he said, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Well, I went through scriptures, and I found places where they would invite Jesus to come and eat with them. And lo, lo and behold, my mind began to whirl, and I thought, you know, like in one of our previous studies, when we studied about some of the Pharisees, we, we looked at, at Nicodemus, and we saw uh, well, Joseph of Arimathea, but others that uh, kind of come out of the woodwork and were listening to the Lord yeah. and, and curious about the Lord. And I thought that was very important, that this chief tax collector, this rich man, this little man, 
you know, it was interesting. I was reading one writer who pointed out that the average height of a man at the time of Jesus would have been about five foot one inch tall. Well, I'd have been a giant <laughs> compared to those. <laughs> and I'm short in our time period. Your average height, I think, but I'm short. And but but he he's curious. He wants to see. The Bible says he sought to see who Jesus was. Now, that tells me that these people that were on the fringes of the people we would have thought that would have received the message, these people that uh, you had Pharisees that were powerful men in, in the religious control of the people. You had publicans that were powerful men in the taxation of the people. But yet in all of these crowds, you have people interested in the word of God. Now, that's kind of one of the internal evidences that I see when I study that makes me realize there was something really powerful about the life of Christ, about his teaching, about his work that was permeating the culture of that day and time. That's why I see him as a curious man who's interested in hearing something. Now, hated by the Jews, you know, a publican wasn't allowed to testify in court, couldn't give money to the temple. They were shunned. They, nobody could, would eat with them. They had a stigma. They were always listed in the lists of sinners. Think about that. Yep. But this little fellow wanted to see the miracle worker, the healer, the preacher. Yep. He was wanting to see him. He wanted to see and verse yeah. th And verse 3 says uh, uh, of chapter 19, he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press because he was of little stature. And he ran before and he climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. I want to stop and talk about the sycamore tree for a moment because it is not the sycamore tree that we have that grows mainly along the river and along the waterways. It is technically a mulberry fig tree. The technical name for it is Ficus sycamorus, and it was a short trunk tree that had wide lateral limbs. It was a great shade tree, but it was easy to climb because it had real low limbs. My study in the scripture uh, shows me that it was native to Egypt, and it was cultivated by the Egyptians. In fact, in Psalm 78 in verse 47, you remember the plagues of Egypt? Well, that psalm says that these mulberry fig trees, or these ficus sycamores, were destroyed by frost during the plagues of Egypt. But archaeologists have found some caskets of mummies that were made from this tree. It also grew naturally in Lebanon and Israel and Palestine. You remember back in Amos chapter 7 and verse 14, the scripture said, Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. I thought that was interesting, and I wanted to know more about the dressing of a tree. What would you do with it? Well, it grew a mulberry fig. So the job of the dresser of these uh, ficus sycamorous trees was to puncture the fruit days before it was to be gathered to help with the ripening process. And, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going too far, but I kind of saw a, a correlation between why perhaps that Nicodemus or um, uh, Zacchaeus, excuse me, chose this tree. Obviously, the limbs are low. There were probably more of them there. He could climb up into this one. But they would take something and beat the fruit on that tree to puncture it to make it ripen. Here is a man in, in uh, Zacchaeus who had been beaten up by the community, that had been hammered by the community, but it helps with his ripening process because now then he understands that maybe this is Messiah. I want to know more about this man. I've heard of the miracles that he's done. I've heard of the people talk about that when he speaks, you've never heard anybody speak or teach like he did. I want to see Amen. him, but I'm too short. I cannot see in this crowd. I cannot get a good look at him, and I want to investigate this man up and down. And so the only thing that he could do, he knew 
the territory. He knew the thoroughfares. He knew the back streets. He knew the alleys. And he knew I can run right down the street right there. This procession will pass right by it. I can climb up on the first limb of that sycamore tree, and I'll be 10 foot tall, and I can rise above the masses, and I can look at Jesus. You know what, Ray? Sometimes we need to rise above the masses. Amen. Amen. We are a people that really and truly want to see. You, you can understand that by looking at how much that we look at social media. You know, some people get up in the morning, first thing that they do, open up Facebook. They want to know what everybody's doing, what they had to eat, where they went, where they're vacationing, what's going on in their life. We want to see. And what everybody is looking for is some kind of secret of life. But we're caught up in the masses, and I don't think that we're ever going to see the secret of life while we're hovering and smothered by the masses. Sometimes we need to rise above the masses. Sometimes we need to climb a tree so that we can see the truth, right? That metaphor is very powerful, Lloyd. You know, when I think about Zacchaeus and Obviously, I think there were things in his life that were wrong. I really do. I think there's things in my life that's been wrong. But the only chance that I have to reach into heaven, and I'm not tall enough to do this, by the way, by myself, is I've got to be with Christ. Well, you know, it's interesting to me that Jesus hung on a tree that I might rise to this situation. And I got to thinking about a passage in Isaiah 59 where you were speaking where he said, behold, it's not that the hand of the Lord is short and he cannot save you or shortened, but it's our sins and our iniquities. Well, what happens is we let those sins and iniquities weight us down. And really, technically, if we just live in our sins, then we're living like the majority of the world. We're just in the crowd. But when you see somebody starting to climb that tree, starting to reach up, starting to say, there's got to be something better. I've got, I've got to see more and, and, Hebrews 2 verse 9 says, but we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels who, who tasted death for all of this world. If we can ever get people to begin to look up to the cross, see Christ, reach up, take his hand, then they will never, ever fall back down again. I'm telling you, they're going to rise and rise and rise, and one day they'll be with him. If you read 1 Thessalonians 4, we shall rise and meet him in the air. Nope. And th there's a beautiful analogy going on here. Now, this little man went as far as he could go in a real tree. Yeah. But he had to come down and meet Jesus before he could go higher. <laughs> he did. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, when, when you stop and you think about it, and I, I have a bad habit of trying to put myself in the context of the moment. You know, I, I want to be somebody that is a fly on the wall, if you will. I want to be an observer of what's going on here. Now, when we look at this, Zacchaeus was a man that was, he was despised by the crowd here. And in reality, I think some of the crowd thought, you know, when this Jesus comes, he's going to save us from people like Zacchaeus. Yes. Uh, he's he's going to come in and, and he's going to eliminate these people. But Jesus, the, the crowd hated Zacchaeus. Jesus loved Zacchaeus. In fact, it went so far as uh, verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. He looked into the tree. Now, all the crowd is listening. We kind of have an idea of what's on their mind, what they're thinking about at this moment. And they look up into the tree as well. What's he looking at? Well, he's looking at that little tax collector, that guy that we morally hate, you know, for you know, he, he has exacted more out of me than he should have. He's a thief. He's a robber. He is a lowlife. But Jesus looks up at him and he says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must abide in your house. He didn't come to stay with the priest. He didn't come to stay with the scribe or the Pharisee or the city official, the mayor, anybody else. 
He came to stay with the one who was rejected that nobody there liked. Let that settle in for just a moment. Go ahead, Ray. You know, well, you know, Lloyd, you, you said something a minute ago that it triggered this thought for me, too. You know, as he traveled through Jericho and he was really headed to Jerusalem, but at the same time, there was a reason for him to stop and see Zacchaeus. You, you have um, this contrast again, Messiah, who's, who many of the people thought would free them from Roman oppression, tax collector, who's a collaborator with the Roman oppressors. And he's the very one that he's supposed to release us from. Yeah. And give us our freedom, you see. Yeah. But but what does Jesus do? While the crowd hates him with the passion, Jesus looks at this man, and, and I, I love what happens here. He calls him by name, Zacchaeus. He knows him. Yeah. Now, you said a minute ago, we've got to climb a tree and rise above the masses. And I and and I wrote down in my notes to see the truth. Yeah. You know. In the next chapter or a couple of chapters, there'll be a little old lady that will give everything she's got to a temple that the Lord said the leaders many times devoured the widow's houses. But yet he said she did good because she was given to God. I, I found in my Bible where I saw, I saw preachers run after Ethiopian eunuchs to preach the gospel to them when maybe others would have had nothing, to, especially at the temple, he would have had no place at the temple being a Gentile. Couldn't even win him to the inner court at right. all. Right. It's always been this this something that just kind of goes the opposite of way you think it's going to go. And too many times in churches we think, well, you know, if everybody dresses like me and looks like me and believes like me and talks like me and got a house like me and drives a car like me, then they must be God's kids, you know, yeah. God's children. Yeah. But here's here is a a man that these people see as an enemy climbing up a tree and Jesus stops out of all this crowd of people and wants to talk to him. And you see, you see how they reacted in verse seven. I mean, we're not making this up. Whenever they saw it, they all murmured and they said uh, uh, that he was going to go and be a guest with a man that is a sinner. They, They cannot believe I mean, all of their anticipation is just, uh, they threw water on it. You know, this this whole thing didn't turn out the way that we thought it would. He's not the man that we thought. He's not going to save us from Roman oppression. He's on their side. He's helping them. He's he, he's a cohort. You know, he's, he's involved with them. It's a conspiracy against us. And nothing turned out the way that they thought that it should. But it really turned out pretty good for Zacchaeus, didn't it? And and this goes to illustrate one of the great premises that we find in Scripture is that our God and our Christ and the Holy Spirit, they are not um, creatures of partiality. And it's like in some of the great sermons we read in the book of Acts. All, All of those that seek for the Lord, all of those that's willing to do good, will be received by the Lord. Now, we think about this. Back when we were talking about the Pharisees, I'll tell you something. If Jesus had their doctrine and stood for their form of extortion and perversion, well, he'd have, they would have seen him appointed as a king. If the Lord had come and been the type of Messiah, Messiah that would have been a, a political pariah to the Romans, the, the people would have made him king, going to try to anyway, but they would have made him a king. They would have revolted with him. But all of a sudden, he's reaching out to some of the same people that they hate. Okay, what about today? We see so many people out there in that world today, um, well, not just tax, tax collectors, but I got to thinking about Scripture, prostitutes and drunks and Druggies, homosexuals, and liars, and fornicators, and hypocritical Christians. And the Lord wants to save them all. He wants to be with them all. And I love it. When when the Lord calls to Zacchaeus, he said this. He said, come down, for today I must stay at your house. 
Yeah. I believe there were some things that the Lord had to do that he had been ordered to do and commanded to do. Now, the reason I say that, I've made many of an argument that there are verses in the Bible that speaks of things I must do. That was God's will. Well, it was God's will, and you're going to see that brought up in verse 10. Why had he been sent? Yeah. To seek and save that which was what? Lost, yeah. And who's Zacchaeus? <laughs> he's the one that's lost. Uh, but even he's in a tree, but he's lost. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Ray, and I will admit this, in my study, I saw some things that I've never seen in this context. And That's good. Yes, it is. Somewhere between verse 7 and verse 8, there is something going on that the Lord chose not to reveal to us. There is a sermon. There is a spiritual discussion that is going on. And it's very easy to read the first 10 verses of chapter 19 and come away with the impression that Zacchaeus was always an honorable man. Now, his name does mean pure, and we'll say some more about that in a moment. But Zacchaeus was a man that uh, he, he was rich. He had to be because he bought the route, as you put it a while ago, uh, to collect the taxes. But you didn't just get what your investment was. You know, nobody would do that. You had to get your wages and your earnings out of that. But he did a little too much from time to time. Now, he may not have been as bad as some of them were, but he did a little much. And so somewhere in the mix between verse 7 and verse 8, Jesus sits down at the supper table with him, and they discuss this matter. They talk about this. He points out, just as he pointed out, you remember back in uh, chapter 18, and uh, in verse 18 down through verse 23, you remember the rich young ruler? What did Jesus point out to him? Not the things that he did that were right. He didn't need to understand that. The things that were keeping him spiritually yes. separated from God. Uh, he said, you lack one thing, verse 22. You need to go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. You have treasure in heaven and come follow me. That was the one thing that this man needed. Now, I'm sure that he is telling Zacchaeus, this is what you need for me to tell you. And I know that because immediately here in verse 8, you know, it's kind of like Acts 8, isn't it? Where Philip preached to him Jesus. Yep. I wish we could have the sermon. We don't have the sermon. But by logical deduction, we know that baptism was part of the teaching of preaching to him Jesus. Because immediately afterward, then the eunuch said, well, see, here's water. What hinders me to be baptized? We have the same thing happening in uh, verse 8, then Zacchaeus stood up. And I want to read this in, uh, in, in the original language here. Literally, how it was written in the Greek. Uh, Luke 19, verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Listen, Lord, here and now I'm giving half of my possessions to the poor. In other words, this is not something I've done prior this is something that I have evaluated and I've come to the conclusion that beginning right now, here and now, I wish we could get more people to be that prompt about obeying the gospel or coming back to the Lord. Here and now, I'm giving half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'm giving back four times as much. Now, Leviticus chapter 6 and verse 5, also Numbers chapter 5 and verse 7 there were times whenever it required adding another fifth to something if you wronged someone. In Exodus chapter 22, verse 4, 7, and 9, in some cases, it required that you would pay back double on something. But in Exodus 22, 1, and 2 Samuel 12, and verse 6, you remember 2 Samuel 12, and verse 6 is when Nathaniel came to David whenever uh, he gave the illustration or the story of the man that had massive herds but took the one ewe lamb from his neighbor and killed it uh, to feed a guest. And what he's trying to do is to make David realize that what he has done, because David has all kind of wives, all kind of concubines, but Bathsheba 
uh, is the only wife to her husband. And this is what he did. And he had uh, Bathsheba's husband killed. So when an intentional, a destructive robbery happens with no pity involved, then the restitution was to be four times and sometimes fivefold. Uh, and David said that, I want this man brought before me. I want this matter straightened out. And I want this man to have to pay back fourfold of what he took from that man. And Nathaniel turned around and said, David, you're the man. Go ahead, Ray. Well, one of the things we're going to have to remember too, uh, Loy, is that Zach is, is, is a chief tax collector. So he would have a stable of tax collectors working under him. Now, the question is, were they honorable? And since he's the one they answered to, uh, this is a very big statement because Zacchaeus said, Lord, Lord, I give half my goods. I'm going to do that to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Uh, one writer even pointed out, you know, if this was an extensive problem within his jurisdiction, this man may have just made a promise to bankrupt himself. How many would do that? You know, one little old lady gave everything she had. Yeah. And the Lord, and, but you know, the Lord never pitied her in that. He said she's done more than the rest. But I'm going to tell you part, partly what's going on here. I believe with all my heart between verses 7 and 8, they gathered, they came for a meal, they had that time period. I believe the Lord gave him a speech. But I think Zacchaeus was a ready listener at this point. Because in verse 6, he made haste and came down. Now watch. Received him joyfully. Joyfully. Now I've I've noticed when people have that look in their eye that they're ready to be with the Lord. They don't even know what to do. They don't even understand what to do. But as soon as they read it, they don't argue with it. They don't fuss with it. They're right there. This wasn't about creed or doctrine or theory or ceremony. This was about him being in the presence of the Son of God with Jesus. And he became, well, a a model. You said something a minute ago about uh, how quickly he responded. He's a model of that effort, humility. No matter what his past was, what the people thought about, without delay, he comes down to him, takes him home, in despite of all the voices around him. And he's ready in his repentance to make restitution. You see? to make restitution. And look, the Lord's witness for this man is what? Salvation has come to this house. Would he say that to me, to you, Lloyd, to to the churches where we preach? No. Now, I'm not saying that, that I doubt it, but I'm saying we have to ask the question. Right. Would he look would he look at Waterview Church of Christ and say salvation has come to this house? Yeah. What a powerful point. It is. And in that verse, this day, salvation come to this house for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. You know, at that time in the first century, the Israelite people here in Palestine, in regard to the publicans, had had uh, contended that if you were a tax collector for the Roman government— that you had forsaken your right as a son or as a child of Abraham. And yet the Lord is reaffirming, this man has done what he is supposed to do. Therefore, I wholeheartedly affirm that he is also a son of Abraham. Now that is, in a spiritual sense, uh, it's also in, in, in probably a, a literal sense, a physical sense, because he is a Jew, I think. But when we look at it, Ray, do you think that anything that Zacchaeus has done here in this after-meal situation here, do you think that the people, the crowd, the masses, that they've changed their mind about him, that he walks out and they said, oh, we're so glad, we're so happy for you, Zacchaeus, that you've done this, that you've listened to the Lord, that you've responded to the message, that you... Uh, that you are now a child of God. Do you think that they changed their mind? No, they're worse. They're murmuring. That they're, they're, uh, they're probably trying to plot to kill him now, you know. I know that they're plotting to kill the Lord later, but uh, 
No, they, they have not changed their mind. And a lot of people come from such a background of sin. They have done so much. They have been involved in so much. And yet the gospel pricks their heart. And they are so happy to urgently, immediately, with great joy, obey the gospel. Do not be discouraged whenever a lot of the world does not accept you. Even a lot of so-called Christians do not accept you because of what you've done in the past. But God does, and that's the great glory of this, because he said there in verse 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. You remember what he said in one occasion? He said, if you're not sick, you don't need a physician. I come <laughs> for those that are dying of sin. And a lot of them thought that they just didn't have any sin. So, you know, they weren't going to respond to the Lord. I'm glad that Zacchaeus did. I'm glad that so many have in the past and will in the future. Go ahead, Ray. Well, you know, Loy, every single person today that becomes a Christian under the admonition of Christ, under his teaching. Now, I'm not talking about what churches say and what religious collectivities have taught, but I'm talking about what Christ says about it. They, every single person that becomes a Christian is considered now to be of the seed of Abraham. Uh, in Galatians 3, yeah. verse 26, for you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. We're not talking about national distinctions now. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ. Now watch. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, do I believe that that crowd, that the Jewish crowd, would understand that at this point? No, I do not. I think it, it will take time before Zacchaeus fully comprehends what, what happened to him. But you've got to remember something else, too. Many times when people were pulled out and given a chance to be saved, they still had family, friends, associates that lived the lives that they had left. Yeah. And they were required to try to save them as well. And the, the, one of the oppositions that would come would be that people still associated them with being a tax collector or any kind of a sinner. Well, I want to read you something. You remember when he called Matthew and the Bible says, I'm in Mark 2, he went out again by the sea and all the multitude came to him. He taught them and he passed by. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it says later on, he was down in Levi and Matthew are the same. He was dining at Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and the sinners, and they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Yep. And that's when Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but right. those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And here's what I want to declare to all that's listening today. When you come to Christ, I don't care who you've associated with or who you even have to be around after you become a Christian. You still are exactly what the Lord said you are. You are a child of Abraham. You are of the seed of Abraham. You are a child of God. And as, as a seed of, of holiness and a seed of faith, you can affect those people too, you see. Right. In the name of Christ. And that's what Matthew did. Uh, and understanding, Matthew had, like Zacchaeus would have had to, he had to divvy up the money that uh, the projected taxes would be. When he walked away, he walked away from recouping the investment that he made. And what did he do? He got to the other people that were in the same business, and he began to bring them to the Lord. And you, you got to listen to this guy. you got to listen to his teachings. That's something, isn't it? And the evidences of this conversion of Zacchaeus were so powerful. Uh, he's not the same as the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler went away sorrowful. Right. But what we see here now is a love. I, I think I can see it because he's willing to sacrifice. This is not legalism. 
This is not guilt talking. This is not him trying to manipulate Jesus. This is him loving him. And now he is a true son of Abraham. And whatever this man that he believes to be the Lord needs for him to do, he's ready to do it. And somebody says, well, look here. He's trying to earn his salvation. No, folks. This is a response to the grace of the Lord for stopping at the tree. It is. And, you know, uh, Zacchaeus was the kind of man. He was a little bitty guy. We've already mentioned that and talked about it. Scripture points it out. He had to do something extraordinary in order to get just a vision, get a moment to where that he could see the Lord. He had no idea the Lord was going to stop in his tracks, look up on the branch of this sycamore tree and say, Zacchaeus, quickly come down from that tree because I must be at your house tonight or today and dine with you and talk with you. And he had no idea that these things were, were coming. But, you know, when we put forth the effort to understand, to see Jesus, it may be that uh, we are going to study more of the scriptures. It may be that we're going to seek out individuals that have more Bible knowledge than we do, that we may have questions to ask and what have you. But you see this, this positive energy in these people that understand that they're not where they need to be. And they understand that the solution to that is going to be Jesus. And so whatever I have to do, that's why I came up with the idea. Sometimes we got to get away from the masses. We got to get away from this idea that, uh, you know, the world knows what good pleasure is and what a successful life is. Sometimes we got to get away from all of that. We got to climb a tree and we got to climb as high as we can to find and to see Jesus and to see the truth. And that's what this man did. And he didn't walk away sorrowful like the rich young ruler. He walked away rejoicing. And what was said about the Ethiopian eunuch, the spirit caught away Philip and the eunuch went on his way. What? Rejoicing. 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 Well, I want to say this. This is another prime example to and I have a sermon I like to preach. I call it the scandal of grace. And what I mean by that is that there are some people that just don't like to see a gracious Jesus. They want him to look down upon the sinner and browbeat him and push him away. But when he's gracious to them, it makes even some Christians, quote unquote, very uneasy because it doesn't fit their exclusive picture. But I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't fear self-righteous Christians. <laughs> Matter of fact, this is exactly God working the impossible. With men, things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. He can even save a rich man or a poor man or somebody like me or somebody like you, Loy. Yep. If we listen, that's the danger. If we listen to him, the danger is we're going to be saved. Maybe that's one reason some don't listen, is they're afraid they're going to be saved. Yeah, well, they're afraid that they're going to have to change. That's what the rich young ruler didn't want to <laughs> that's do. That's it, yeah. He didn't want to let go of, of his riches. Now then, Zacchaeus, on the other hand, uh, he had a lot to let go here. I'm like you. If he had been really high in extortion and involved in that, this could bankrupt this man. But he didn't care. I mean, he he told the Lord, he said, right now, I have made up my mind right now. I'm going to give half of what I've got to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody, if I have stolen by exacting too much tax from them, then I'm going to repay it fourfold. I, I wish our politicians would do that. Our politicians right now will... will uh, uh, draft new legislation, new bills, and they will cram everything in there that they can. And what's the difference in that and, and what some of these, uh, you know, not so up and coming or above board tax collectors were doing? I mean, they had the right to collect the tax from the that the Roman government required. They had the right to recover a little bit more for their wages. But I mean, it's a it's a recipe for disaster it's a recipe for extortion and i think that uh i think zacchaeus sees that now and he says 
you know, I may not have been as bad as some of them were, but from this moment on, I will never do that again. Repentance requires change, immediate change. Sometimes it requires restitution, immediate restitution. Sometimes you can't restore every wrong that you've done, but you go as far and as high as you can. Right, right. Yes, I've often thought that change is the the true essence of all restitution. Is that when you put something, you know, as you pointed out in the Old Testament, they would have to give twenty percent, and or or sometimes more. But that just shows that they had changed, and they were trying to uh, alleviate the problems that they had caused others while they were in sin. But it's all about change, and I think that kind of brings us down to that last point, regardless of our condition. We can become pure, as you well pointed out. Tell them about the name Zacchaeus. It is. Uh, the the definition of the name Zacchaeus there means either uh, pure or innocent. And it is impossible that we ourselves can make ourselves pure. It is impossible that we can be innocent. But it is possible with God through Jesus Christ and the blood and the body sacrifice that he gave for our sins for you and I to be pure. You know, uh, in my opening, I said that this is more than a children's story. It's more than Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. This is a lesson for all of us. This is a lesson of looking at our life, doing all we can, climbing as high as we can to see Jesus, and then have the kind of heart and have the kind of attitude, I want to change. I want to do what the Lord wants me to do. And when you can do that, I don't care if you're as poor as the blind beggar in Luke 18, you can be saved. I don't care if you are as rich as the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, in chapter 19, you can be saved. All you have to do is just obey the Lord. What a great study, Ray. Amen. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There you go.